Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is Good Things Come in Small Packages. I have a detailed discussion with Callum Burns, who is a fund manager who focuses on small and medium-sized companies. I discuss with Callum why we should be looking beyond the big blue-chip companies like the banks and BHP and Rio Tinto, and Callum's theory about investing in companies with a moat around them. It reminds me of a quote that I once heard from Buffett, which was, you want to invest in a company that an idiot can run, because you can be sure that one day they will. Callum talks about investing in companies with business models that are difficult to replicate, and we talk about how you can mitigate risks when investing in smaller companies. And don't forget to listen to the propeller head of the week, which is at the end of the show, where I talk about things that you need to be very careful about when rolling between one superannuation fund to another. If you enjoy the show, please uh, head to iTunes and give us a positive review. Uh, For previous episodes, you can simply Google the Finance Hour. Thanks and enjoy the show. afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. I welcome your SMSs anytime over the next hour on 47 That's 47 so my name's Ruben Zelwa. I'm the financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. Uh, we're a boutique financial planning firm that works with business owners, professionals, and those planning for retirement. But just as importantly, I really do enjoy uh, this Finance Hour podcast, and I welcome you to uh, find us on iTunes. And if you're so inclined, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a good rating. That will just mean that more people will find our show in their searches and more people can hopefully enjoy what we have to say. I'm back in the studio by myself today and the topic of today's episode is good things come in small packages. So the big question is, should you consider investing in smaller companies in the share market or should you just stick to the tried and tested blue chips like the banks and Telstra and Woolworths and Wes Farmers, or is there benefit in getting into some other smaller, maybe riskier companies? So today we're interviewing uh, Callum Burns, uh, who is a fund manager. Uh, he's actually at SGH Hiscock, so we'll find out uh, all about that firm. And he runs a managed fund which focuses uh, exclusively on mid-sized and smaller-sized companies which are listed on the stock exchange. So it'll be interesting to see his view about uh, how investors should be allocating their funds uh, within the Australian share market and hopefully help you make some decisions on how you manage your own portfolio. But before we go to Callum, just a quick uh, discussion on what's been going on this week in the world of business. Uh, the banks are about to report their full-year profits 
uh, and they're expected to be in totality about $31 billion, uh, which is a big number. We've spoken on this show before about how the uh, the banks have been increasing interest rates on interest-only loans. Uh, just a reminder, those interest-only loans are, as, uh, as you'd think, where people just pay the interest on the loan. They don't make principal repayments. And they've traditionally been used for investment properties uh, where people are happy to not pay principal because they want to keep their interest as high as possible. Uh, but some people have used them for their personal home loans as well. And the banks have been increasing their rates on these particular loans by 05 to 0.6% which is really, really substantial when you've borrowed large amounts of money. And also given that interest rates are so low, uh, an increase like that has a very, very big increase on their interest repayments. And the reason why they've done this is because the regulators have said to the banks, well, we don't want you to be uh, expanding these interest-only loans. We think they're a risk. So the banks have taken the opportunity to increase their rates. But not only have they increased their rates across the uh, across new in- interest only loans, have actually done it across all the existing ones as well. So they kind of had a nice uh, excuse to do this. And guess what? As I expected, this has added a lot of money to their profits. So there you go. They actually got a free kick by the regulators who, uh, who basically gave them the coverage to increase their rates on the pretext of trying to reduce risk in the overall system. But it's had the nice side effect of actually increasing the profits of the bank because obviously the bank makes profits by lending out money and if they can lend it out at a higher rate, uh, their profits go up. So that's been good news for the banks. I do find it interesting how all the banks have kind of acted together. There are laws in this country around collusion, that is big companies not uh, acting together to make decisions. Uh, but I still see that that kind of thing seems to happen. Maybe they don't get around a coffee table and make the decision or around dinner, but when one of them increases the rates, the other's ones tend tend to follow suit. And we saw that also maybe in a good way when the banks uh, just eliminated the ATM fees if you withdraw money from a different bank. So if you're a Commonwealth Bank customer and you use a Westpac branded ATM, the banks have got rid of those uh, the extra $2 fee which you used to pay. Once again, a similar thing, one of the banks announced it. I think it was Commonwealth Bank that announced it first and then the others followed suit. So there seems to be a fair bit of groupthink uh, there and usually it's in the benefit of the banks. Other than that, uh, listeners would be aware that the share markets had a really good run over the last uh, month or so. If you look over a full 12-month period, uh, the market has gone up 9%. That's in in growth terms. But also when you take dividends into account, it's about 14% returns over the last 12 months. So that's really good. Uh, The market is, uh, according to the ASX 200 index, is testing 6,000 points. Seems to be getting close and then falling back a bit. Just as a reminder, before the GFC, the market was at 6,700 points. So we're slowly uh, creeping our way back to that point, although it seems at different time the market does sputter a bit. So we've had good, very good returns over the last period of time. The US share market is, and other markets have actually increased a lot more. 
America is well, well above their pre-GFC uh, highs. But always important to remember that in Australia, we have a large amount of dividends, which they don't have in the US. So if you took into account the dividends, uh, you'd probably find that the Australian share market return has been uh, not as bad as compared to the US market. Okay, but I'm looking forward to hearing from Callum about uh, his view on the market, particularly in the smaller companies area. We are going to have a brief uh, music break. Uh, as I said, please don't hesitate to send your SMS qu- questions in for me or for Callum while we're talking on 047-88-2258. A quick music interlude and then we'll have Callum on the phone. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. Topic of today's program is good things come in small packages, or do they? So we uh, today are lucky to have with us Callum Burns, who is a portfolio manager at SJH Hiscock, who runs a managed fund focusing on mid-size and smaller companies. Callum, do I have you on the line? You certainly do. Good afternoon, Ruben. Thanks, Callum. Thank you very much for joining us. So let's just hear, before we get going into hearing about small and mid-sized companies, uh, the, the business you work with is called SGH Hiscock. Can you maybe give us a little bit of background uh, as to that company? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, firm, the firm started back in, in 2001 yeah. uh, and it was essentially the investment team that came out of National Australia Bank at, at that time. Yeah. And it was focused on um, listed property investments and also on small small companies. Uh, since that time, the firm has expanded. Uh, in total, we manage about $2 billion on behalf of our clients. Yeah. And, um, yes, and you know, within that, we have a fund called SGHIS, which, which uh, I'm involved, I've, I've founded and, and run. So that's interesting. And, uh, the SGH... Yeah, it's the SGHIS. So that's a quite a... Sounds like a good name, ICE. What does the ICE stand for? Uh, you you weren't vanilla invest- ICE fans or anything, were you? No, no, it stands for investing in companies with a competitive edge. Ah, That's where okay. it comes from. Very good. All right, terrific. So, the and and the fund focuses on on smaller size companies in general. Yeah, I mean the name smaller is 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 a sort of interesting one. Financial markets are full of jargon, as 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 you would know. Yeah. Um, but effectively, a company companies outside the top one hundred term smaller. Yeah. And uh, that's a company that has is worth less than $3 billion, which probably none of us would personally call a company at $2.9 billion smaller, yeah. but uh, that's the, the jargon of the uh, of the stock market. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so but, but is, so that's what you focus on, companies outside the top 100. Is that right? Correct. And yes, that is. That's our sort of starting point. But we also spoke focus on um, special companies that have a um, what we call an economic moat around them. So yeah. there's a, a barrier to entry for competitors to come in and, and take their revenue. Yeah, well, that's, so, an, uh, that's what we focus on. Yeah, well, that's an interesting one because my first question was going to be is that uh, you, the, the, a lot of the listeners will have had shares in the big banks. They might have gotten the float in Telstra, uh, in things like Woolworths. And in some ways, historically, we've, we've got in this country the biggest companies uh, do have very strong market positions. Uh, we've just been talking about the banks and how they increase their rates. They all basically increase them, and it's going to lead to more profits. So if we've got companies that uh, at the big end of town, 
that have got very strong market positions and it's it's difficult for newcomers to take advantage. Why would investors be looking at going beyond that into smaller companies? Well, it is interesting. Um, that would be someone's first thought. But outside the top 100 by number, there's a much larger number of companies um, with barriers to entry than there are within the top 100. So the answer is um, increased opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, for example, uh, whilst it's hard to, you know, come in and create a new big bank to compete with the big four, within the four of them, there's substantial competition and yeah. none of them command that arena. And yeah. as such, they struggle to hold on to price rises vis-a-vis each other. So in, outside right. the top 100, we can find companies that actually dominate their niche and sometimes they're quasi-monopolies. Right. And, there's, and I guess also in the big banks, there's the rise of fintech as well. Uh, which is eating away at some parts of it. But uh, we've had Tim Farrelly on the show before. I don't know if you know Tim. Do you, uh, yes, I do. Yeah, so Tim, when I talk to him about the banks, he says, yeah, you know, are they open for competition? Well, maybe, but it's difficult. Banks, you know, borrow a whole lot of money at a low rate and then lend it at a higher rate, and it's not easy for a newcomer to come in and have access to the funds or the term deposits like they do. Well, that is that is true, but um, a lot of the competitive advantages banks have had are being eroded by technology. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, there's a whole series of smaller fintechs that are now emerging, mm. and uh, they lend money in various forms to consumers, and they need, obviously, to credit check to, to do that. Yeah. And what has now been established is that the customer owns their data, not the bank. So mm. at the customer's authorisation, they can if you like, suck all the data out of the out of one of the big four banks to then allow them to do their own credit checking. Yeah. So that's an area that's difficult. The other one also is foreign exchange. Yeah. We've got a lot of these new companies doing it for a fraction of the cost of the banks. Like Ozforex? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And uh, there's a UK company called TransferWise, mm. and they're incredibly easy to use and, you know, a fraction of the cost. Yeah, so is, well, we're probably digressing a little bit, but we did do an episode on fintechs before. So is that... Uh, do you have a number of fintech type companies in your portfolio? Uh, we we do ha- we do have some, um, but you know we are across all sorts of industries from you know hotel accommodation to we do have some fintechs to other parts of IT to believe it or not selling auto parts yeah to independent motor mechanics. Um, the key thing for us is we're trying to find companies uh, that that have you know, dominant position in their niche yeah. Uh, because then they are able to put through price increases and generally be a pretty good business. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just can you give me a couple of examples maybe of, of companies or that that have got that moat around them, like what you're, what you're suggesting? Yeah. I might maybe mention one that I guess uh, would be counterintuitive. Mm. Uh, believe it or not, selling auto parts to motor mechanics. Yeah. Um, you know, one would think that's just a commoditized business, but what you need to understand is the motor mechanic, you know, the car comes in, the motor mechanic puts it up on the hoist, uh, they work out what the problem is, mm. and only then can they order in the part. So the cost of the part is, you know, irrelevant, yeah. relevant to the fact you need the right part with you quickly so you can fix the car, drop it on, and, and get it out. Yeah. So, you know, we've invested for some years in a company called Burson Automotive, which oh, many yeah, of your viewers absolutely. may have heard of. Yeah. And the key asset that's difficult to replicate there is the logistical capability. 
of mm. getting the parts on demand to lots of lots of mechanics very quickly. Yeah. So that sort of. And so they make a, and they've got a good profit margin. You're saying in a very strong market position. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they do because uh, you need to have the parts sitting in a warehouse. Yeah. Close to the hub of you know, motor mechanics that, that you serve, and they expect to get the part within an hour and a half of, of placing the order. Yeah. In, in a capitalist world, the economic theory would always be if there's a company that's making, you know, super good profits, uh, the theory goes is that people will come in or other companies will come in and eat away at those profits until they sort of come back to normal. So how do you see that theory? Does, does that theory actually work in practice or is it just one of those things that we learn in economics 101 at uni and is not doesn't really play out in the real world well i think it plays out in the real world in most instances but not in all and mm. we're interested in the exceptions um yeah. you know the classic example company we invested in very early was you know real what was then called realestate.com.au yeah and it got to a point where its size was such that it was just everyone had to use it you know, if you yeah. wanted to sell your property, you needed to be on it. And if you wanted to do, to buy a property, that's that's where you needed to look. And mm. real estate agents had to use it. Mm. Um, and even to this day, that remains a strong advantage. So I, I think your answer is true in the general, but in yeah. the exceptions with the you know truly excellent business, that doesn't apply because it's difficult for people to come in and uh, take take the customers. Well, I guess something like real estate, you know, dot com dot and also car sales. They would have had the advantage of being one of the first movers, really. And, and in that technology or website type space, that's enormous. Yes. So is it something that, in terms of companies with that mode around them, do you, do you see that more in the tech space or is it not necessarily? No, not necessarily. It, we, we see them, you know, in really in all sorts of places. I think it's true to say that technology... Um, is a fertile breeding ground yeah. because, you know, if we just go back to a very simple one being, you know, accounting software, mm. um, once you've got all, if you're a business, once you've got all your um, data on Myob or whatever you use, to, to change is just really quite a hassle. Yeah. And people really can't be bothered, it's not economic. So, yeah. you know, technology is, is fertile ground for for that type the sorts of business we're looking for with sticky customers. Yeah. But you know, it can occur in all sorts of places. You know, we have been invested in A two milk, for example. Yeah. Uh, that that's a brand that's equated with, you know, healthy for children milk. That's one pla- one place. Mm. And look, th- th- there are many others. You can even go up to the big end of town in, you know, Westfield, you know, those absolute flagship um yeah. shopping centres. So yeah. you know, it, it occurs in all sorts of places. The trick is understanding the ins and outs of the business. Yeah. and working out what makes the customer sticky. Yeah, so look, I want to talk about uh, risks a bit as well, or returns. So we see most people, when they hear about the share market, they'll hear about what the big index does, either the All Lords or the ASX 200, and that's now nudging at 6,000 points, so it's had a really good run. But I, I, I'm, but the, the companies that you invest in, the mid-size and small companies... Uh, don't necessarily represent a big part of that index. So, how how do people measure in general how how those sort of that sector of the market is performing, or is is the is what the overall the ASX two hundred doing? Is that a reasonable indication? Uh, look, I, I think the best thing is to look at what 
someone's track record has been over the, over the long haul. Mm. Um, when you invest in, in groups of companies that are quite different to the overall market, mm. you know, in the short term, things can vary either you know, particularly positively or in some cases negatively. Mm. But I think you're best off looking at the returns they've delivered over five, eight, ten plus, plus years. Yeah. That's the best measure. The other thing people can do, not necessarily completely relevant, but there are what's called smaller company indices, so they'll yeah. measure the return of companies just outside the top 100. That's yeah. another thing that they, they can look at. Yeah, so that would be more something where you know, you'd look at, okay, what's that index done? That would be a bit more comparable to what to kind of the companies you're investing in. But once again... Yeah, you know, you... I mean, it's, it's not a great comparator for us, but people, mm. there's a, an index called the small industrials. That's yeah. probably the... The closest comparator to what we do, but it, you know, it's we still look very different to that. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you talk about the industrials because when we talk about the small end of town, people are often talking about specy stocks, and they're talking about resources, and those are the things that you get tips from the taxi driver. Do the resources make up a big part of that small end of the market? And yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. Well, I'm, I'm probably the worst person to talk to about that because we only invest in industrials. Yeah. Um, I don't actually like investing in resources because they're enormously volatile. Mm. And um, in the long run, the returns for industrial shares are actually uh, much higher than than have been achieved from, from resources. To give you yeah. a feel for it, um, I've been running my fund for about 12 years. And over that time, uh, you know, the difference in dollars is, is actually large. Like if you had $100 invested in the fund, it'd be worth... 350 now mm. and it would be still less than a hundred dollars from the small resources yeah. so you know but don't get me wrong it's gone from 100 to 250 to 100 to 250 yeah. to 50 you know they're very volatile so yeah. uh you know and particularly when you move into smaller resources they get even more volatile so mm. it's not something we really really focus on yeah but that's i guess people probably do associate that with small end of the market how how big is the resources part of the small end as, as compared to the you know to everything else? Yeah, it's it's a it, you know again these numbers are very proximate, but you know it's mm. roughly three quarters industrials, roughly one quarter resources. Yeah, but no, you know that can literally change month to month as um, and year to year as uh, things move around. But that gives yeah. you sort of a, a rough feel for it. So so yeah, so I talked about the returns obviously in terms of what the market index, but what about what about the risks? I mean, do, do once again, you'd think, talking about the smaller end of the market, uh, that the risks would be higher than at the top end. Is that, does that actually play out in practice? Yeah, that is, that, that's true. Um, that is definitely true. And the key way to manage that is, um, you know, you really have, for example, we invest in very few companies that are profitable. And we also make sure so few, few companies that, that aren't profitable. Is that that's correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you know, nearly everything is obviously profitable. Yeah. And also, the key is to have a number of holdings. We normally hold in excess of forty companies, so yeah. that you know your your positions are don't pull up, your eggs in one basket. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> we've we've heard that one before. Yeah, there's a saying, Ruben, there are old fund managers and there are bold fund managers, but there aren't many old and bold fund managers. <laughs> I think that's sort of the same thing. Yeah, yep. So, you know, the, the trick is, yes, uh, the risks at the individual company level are higher and you handle that by making sure you only own the very best and also that uh, you have a, nu- a number a number of holdings. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about uh, you know, stock picking in the world of investing because really in the business that, that we're in, or particularly that you're in, not as much me, but you're dealing with uncertainty all the time. And I guess you can uh, find a company and it looks like, it's, as you say, it's got a good position, but then it doesn't turn out that way. How do you, how do you deal with that? Because, uh, you know, as you said, on one hand, it's easier to say, well, you want companies that have got a moat around them, but surely there are instances where, where that's your, your theory and it works out to be not the case. And, 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 you know, when does that happen and how do you deal with that? Can you, can you tell me a sort of situation like that? Yeah, of course. I mean, way that, you know, can occur um, is something changes. Like, for example, we're not invested in these companies, but... Um, you know, so, some people are, you know, salary packaging companies yep. and they exist to, you know, do administration of effectively benefits which sit under the fringe benefits tax um, shield. And, you know, if the government were to change the tax rules, you know, that would obviously make a significant change to that business. So yeah. that's it in its most extreme sense where things really can, can change. Um, so... So that's you know, something in area because we don't like the fact that the government could could, could change change the business model. Mm. Um, another area would be that you know you've got the, the business is going beautifully, and the management, for example, are integrating um, two different IT systems, and yeah. they make a complete hash of it. And as <laughs> such, service levels drop through the floor, and yeah. then customers start moving when they would never have moved in the last twenty years. You know, there are all the sorts of things one needs to be. Um, open to, and that actually yeah. happened in a company we were invested in some years ago. The trick is to identify that quickly and then, um, you know, sell immediately. Yeah, that's, and there's uh, also... the way to manage it. Yeah, and there's also, uh, you know, the management of the company, I guess, which is, which is, you know, to a large extent what you're investing in, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't say to a large extent. I think what you're investing in are the assets of the company. Mm. Um, that's the key issue. But in order to maximise the return, those assets need to be managed well. So, you know, management are a part of it in terms of enabling enabling the wealth. Um, but you know, I think it's the assets of the company that really is the key is is, is the key thing. Yeah, and, and how talking about the assets of the company is key. Once again, I know we're going into the bigger end of the market, but you look at something like Telstra, and the assets of that company was their copper network. Uh, but yeah. that ends up being a, an, you know, a degrading asset, like significantly degrading. So how do you know, how do you know if the asset you're investing in is not is not decaying and getting overtaken by you know, something smarter or better technology? Well, I guess that's where the work up front happens. You know, you do a lot of work to ensure that that's that's not the case. That you've identified mm. any threats are either current or prospective. And, yeah. you know, however, the modern world moves very quickly. And mm. if events are to change, where, you know, that there is something that came up that, you know, wasn't originally um, on the cards, the trick is to act quickly. Yeah. You know, I just sort of make the observation, I've found in the investment business, it's far better to respond very quickly to known facts mm. than to, um, you know, guess about things that may or may not happen. So that's why, you know, you've got to have a regular visitation program. Like we talk to, our, well, I talk, we meet with over 400 companies face-to-face -face a year. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, that's that's what's, you know, very important. But what you often find is that good news uh, ripens, sorry, big pardon, bad news ripens slowly. So you mm. often find there'll be an event that's indi indicating something like you talked about, and people keep 
holding, 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 you know, sort of hoping things will improve. So you usually find you actually have a period, um, if you're decisive, where you have the opportunity to, you know, to, to, to exit. Um, you know, like Telstra is a classic example where, you know, NBN's been on the cards for a long time. Not that we're investors, it's a big end of town. But, mm. you know, people were holding and holding and holding for the dividend. Despite the fact the business had been significantly damaged. That's right. Yeah. And then they cut their dividend by about 40% or so. I can't remember what it was. or something enormous. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, really that was foreseeable for mm. quite some years in yeah. that case. Yeah. Well, actually, it just occurred to me, going back to what you're talking about, the management, I think... It was a Warren Buffett quote that said, you want to buy a company that any idiot can manage because one day you can be sure that, they will, that there will be. <laughs> Very good quote. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, as you say, so that's good news, people. Sorry, you're saying good news ripens slowly or bad news ripens slowly? Bad news ripens slowly. Yeah. Right. Or it often can. Okay. So, in situations... Though where something comes out of left field, uh, what's your uh, and you know you're holding a stock and then something just changes quickly. There's that software markup or whatever it is. What's generally your, your your modus operandi then? Do you cut your losses quickly or do you you know do you wait and hold? How, how do you actually make that decision? Well, to begin with, uh, you make it quickly. Yeah, we probably would have sold in the time it's taken me to answer the question. <laughs> so, so the key issue is significant diminution in, in you know, the investment proposition equals immediate sell equals out. Yeah. You know, obviously, you don't transact on the stock market in two seconds, but you yeah. know, usually within a day or two, yeah. um, all things being equal. Even if, uh, even it if it's at a loss. Well, that's right. Yeah. Because you know, you've always got to look at what the price is going to be in the future compared to today. Mm. But, you know, mm. one thing I'd say, Ruben, you know, over the years, far more work out well than yeah. than uh, don't. Um, so, yes, the trick is to make sure that the ones you're investing in that are doing well, you, you stick to them for the long haul so yeah. you have the the benefit of that profit as the profits compound over time. Yeah. And in the sort of, you know, vast minority of cases, if things don't go to plan, that that's recognised early and you exit quickly. Yeah. So one of the things... But, you know, was, a lot of yeah. the effort goes, of course, into finding the ones that are successful right. and continuing to keep in touch with them so you maintain your conviction to hold the position for uh, many years. Like TPG Telecom um, was, for example, one of our best investments ever. Yeah. And it took some time to build that conviction. But as you said, NBN came along and changed the proposition. So mm. you need to be flexible, recognise that, and, uh, and exit. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of talk about exchange-traded funds. We've, in fact, done an episode on that and the rise of, of uh, investing just straight in the index, not trying to outperform it, uh, and all these studies that claim to have been done saying that it, it's very difficult to outperform an index. Uh, what's your view of how that plays out in, in the small and medium-sized market? Yeah, well, the thing is, to give you a feel for... You know, index measurement, like the small ordinaries has about 200 companies in it. Yeah. And yet there's about 2,000 listed companies. Mm. So, you know, the index isn't necessarily, you know, representative of the whole opportunity set. Um, so just to sort of recap on that, so the top 100 index measures the top 100 companies and that's your opportunity set. Yeah. Whereas the small ordinaries measures effectively company 100, 300, 100. 
and yet there's about another 1,900 or so listed companies. So, you know, there's obviously a substantial opportunity when you're at the so-called smaller end outside the top 100 yeah. to end up with an outcome that's completely different to what the sort of measured indices um, produce. Yeah. And, you know, that's really the, I guess, the excitement and also the, the, the opportunity. Okay, well, you're listening to uh, the Finance Hour on Jair, and the topic is good things come in small packages. And we are speaking with Callum Burns of SGH Hiscock. Uh, we're coming towards the end, but i just got a couple of last questions for you. First of all, uh, market valuations at the moment. Market is sort of getting up towards 6,000 points in general. What do you, how do you see the current valuation of the market? Is there lots more upside uh, from where we are now, or is it likely to be volatile? Well, I guess in many ways, um, you know, I'm probably not the best person to ask about the market because we're really focused on the part of the market that holds the companies, you know, that we're interested in that have that, that economic moat around them, yeah. for the better companies. Yeah. So, you know, within that part of, of the market, you know, I'd say we're investing constructively but also cautiously. Yeah. Um, you know, we're finding we've got, you know, 40 or so companies in the fund, which we're very happy to hold. We think the valuation is very good. Uh, but, you know, outside that, we're seeing pockets um, where valuations have become a bit extended, uh, particularly in sort of, you know, the what I call the uber growth stocks yeah. um, and yeah. certain areas of the sort of lower quality. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, as long as you are selective, there's good opportunities there. But um, I don't think just necessarily, um, you know, buying the markets, you know, probably is ever the answer, but that's possibly a little bit more true today than um, yeah. than is on average. Yeah. Okay, Callum, well, uh, the purpose of this show here is to uh, make sense of the world on finance and hope, help people make better financial decisions. So there may be, in terms of the people out there who are investors, uh, do you have uh, possibly three tips uh, for, for all our listeners that, might, that will help them make smarter investment decisions? Yeah, I reckon my first tip is take a medium to long-term view. Yep. Um, I do think that um, the stock market is sort of generated to make people think short-term. Yeah. And making sensible long-term decisions is, you know, the best way to build your wealth. Yeah, And yep. the second thing is apply a good dollop of patience to uh, mm. anything you invest in because, you know, the best ideas may take some time to, um, to flower, as, yep. as, as it were. And uh, the third one is make sure you have yourself surrounded by good advisors because... Uh, they can be a tremendous, tremendous sounding board yeah. when, when you're investing. A double check. Very good. All right, Callum, so thank you very much uh, for your time today. Uh, where should people go if they want to find out a bit more about you or about your fund? Yes, well, I guess they can just Google the fund. Its name is SGH ICE, I-C-E. Yeah. And uh, it's also on our website, www.sghiscock.com.au. Excellent. Okay, thank you very much for your time and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again at some point in the future to hear an update. That's my pleasure, Ruben, and thanks for the opportunity to chat with you. Okay, then. See you later. Bye. Okay, now it's time for our Propeller Head of the Week. Now, I have spoken before about the importance of insurance, the automatic insurance, which you may get when you join an employer or a super fund. So this is related to that, but this is something you really need to be careful about if you are taking your money out of a super fund. So a lot of people have over the years rolled their money out of a fund into like a self-managed fund. And you have to be really careful that when you roll your money over, 
that you are, if you are losing the insurance that you have in the other fund, that you can get insurance on the same terms in the new fund. So that would mean that you probably need to get the underwriting process happening in the new fund before you exit the old one. That's a really, really important point. There is also the ability, even if you want to roll over most of your investments, you might keep a small amount in the old fund so that you can keep that insurance. So that that's the propeller head of the week. Be very careful when you are rolling over super funds to check the insurance which you have. Well, that's all for today on the Finance Hour. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to the show, please search us on iTunes and leave us a positive message. Otherwise, if you want to send something straight through to me, uh, Ruben, R-E-U-B-E-N-Z at adaptwealth.com.au. Also, just bear in mind, we have been talking to an investment manager today, but uh, this does this discussion today does not constitute personal advice. So don't rely on this as financial advice. You really need to go to a, a registered financial planner or make a decision yourself. But we at Jair and me don't accept any liability for any decisions you make as a result of our discussion today. We just hope that it's fuel for you to, uh, to help make better decisions. Okay then, uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.